Jesus, we are so thankful and grateful that you surrendered your life on our behalf. That whoever would believe upon you, admit they were a sinner, believe that you are God and have the power to forgive and to save us from our sins, Lord, and transfer our trust to you and receive by faith which only the act of grace can be bestowed and receive. We say thank you. God, for those who don't know you, I pray that you draw them by the power of your spirit this day. And that you would open the eyes of the hearts of the believers. That, Lord, we might minister and bring you glory. So we thank you for this time and we thank you for all that you do. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. And uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to West Texas, not West Texas, but the town of West, uh, where the explosion occurred, and kind of saw what was going on there. And uh, by, incidentally, by the way, or coincidentally, however you want to say it, um, we are going to be uh, doing some relief effort there. And so a couple of ways that you can help if you want to, uh, even for more Oklahoma and Granbury, if you would like to, to give a gift that goes specifically to them, just mark that on the check or you can put that inside of uh, one of the envelopes and we will send out every penny you give will go straight there. And so if you'd like to do that, you're welcome to. You may be giving somewhere else if you are, then that's terrific. But want to give you that opportunity. Also, we're going to be doing some disaster relief training uh, in the future. Matter of fact, in September... And so if you would like to be trained, uh, then we're going to be sending groups out. You can't, when we have disasters like this, a lot of times people say, I want to go help. But unless you have training or certification, you can't just uh, go jump in the middle of that. Okay, so if you would like to be trained and you say, you know, this is something I feel led to do and I can take off uh, three and four days when these kind of things happen, uh, then we'd like to give you some training. We're going to have the disaster relief team come in and do training in September. And so you can look forward to that and look for that in the days ahead. Uh, now, with that said, when I went to West yesterday, <clears throat> um, you know, what had happened if hypothetically, let's say I did this, uh, when I drove up there and kind of saw, surveyed and saw the situation, I noticed there was a guy out um, near one of the places that was kind of devastated. What if I had just taken an envelope with a few hundred dollar bills and I just shoved it out the window to him and I said, God bless you, and I drove off and left? Now, some people would say, yeah, well, that was, a, that was a nice thing to do. That was a good thing. I'm, I'm glad you do that. And boy, I, matter of fact, maybe I need to drive down there and throw some money out uh, on the way, and, and that, that would be good. But now, what if I told you that guy was an attorney, <coughs> and he was simply there <coughs> collecting some evidence and kind of building his case uh, for uh, future consideration, so to speak? How would you feel if you knew I'd just given $300 to him? Not that attorneys are bad people. Some of you are in here today. We, we love you people. Uh, my brother's an attorney. My father-in-law's an attorney. My sister-in-law's. I'm, I'm not against attorneys. Uh, but do you get the point here? Sometimes we feel better about just throwing money out the window and driving away. And it makes us feel better. It, it releases some guilt, and we feel like we've done something. But maybe sometimes that wasn't the best way to handle the situation. Maybe every time, quite frankly, that's not the best way to handle the situation. See, there are three different categories when you talk about giving and helping uh, that you need to consider, and we're going to talk about those. But let me start right here. First of all, um, 
I, I wish we had time to get into this, but I want to give you a couple of a few biblical reasons that we give. And the first one that we, the first reason that we give to the church is this: it's because it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It's just like when we're singing. Uh, it's just like when we're praying. And it's, I say it's just like. It's a similar value because it is an act of worship, of attributing glory and worth and honor to God Almighty. So that's the first reason we do it, because it's an act of worship. Number two, because of the, of the purpose. What is our purpose? It's taken from the Great Commandment and the Great uh, Commission. And we, we say this, to uh, love God with all our heart, soul, and mind while making more and better followers of Christ. It's the purpose for which we exist. It's the purpose for why we've sent the people that you've heard about today, why they're serving and why we're partnering with them. Number third, three, because of the need. Because there is a need there is the third reason we give. And number four, because of what it does to us. We can't really be transformed into the image of Christ if we never learn to give. That's just a fact. It's just the way it is. We can't say all to Jesus and say, but I'll decide when I want to give. It's something within us that God has created that if not released, it begins to suffocate our spirit. So we give because part of the reason, because of what it does to us, because it transforms us. Okay, now that's a whole sermon that you got in about three minutes, all right? So now let's talk about how we give and in different respects in which we give, particularly as it relates to needs. Now, first of all, the first category would be relief. We give sometimes in a relief effort. Now, what is relief designated? Relief is this. Relief is when a hurricane happens or a tornado or the fertilizer plant or a tsunami, something of that nature, a, a natural disaster or even a man-made disaster that has urgent and immediate needs. And relief is, let's just try to stop the bleeding right now. This is an urgent need, and we just need to bring about some immediate relief. It's not going to fix anything. It's not going to cure anything, but we're just going to immediately help. And that would be an example of what's happening in Moore, Oklahoma right now. Okay? Just immediate relief. It's not fixing it, but it's just stopping the immediate bleeding. It's putting a Band-Aid temporarily. Okay? So relief. And that is the most popular way, that, quite frankly, that people give. And that's the way that most of us perceive helping is relief. But I would argue that, that that should be not the norm, but the exception, okay? Because what we, what's, what we really want to be about are the last two, rehabilitation and development. Now, what do we mean by the word rehabilitation? Rehabilitation, I know, has, is pregnant with meaning, but for our term or for our purposes today, rehabilitation would be this. Uh, if relief is something I do to you or for you, rehabilitation is something I do with you, okay? Something I do with you. And so next week, you're going to hear from Pastor Chris at Cornerstone Church. And part of his ministry is about rehabilitation. And there are a couple of different ministries. We support CCA. We work with Christian Community Action. Rehabilitation. We have some folks in here who help with financial counseling and kind of walking people through. Let me help you do a budget. We're going to do a budget here. We're going to look at your savings. We're going to look at how your expenditures and how you're doing that. And we're going to walk you through this process. Rehabilitation is teaching and being a part of. So it's not just simply, I'm going to give it to you and then I'm done and I'm running away way. I, I'm going to know your name. I'm going to know what your needs are. And this is going to be mutual. 
And as you can imagine, sometimes uh, Chris has this situation, sometimes we have this situation. Some people say, I, I'm not really interested in you being involved. I'm not really interested in you helping in that manner. Uh, I, just give me the money and I'll run kind of thing, okay? And, um, and I'm not talking to anybody specific. I know some of you are thinking, are you talking about me? I'm not talking about you, okay? I, I, maybe I am talking about you, but I'm not specifically talking to you today. But what we're saying is we want to be about long-term recovery, okay? Not just the immediate emergency need. Sometimes that's completely necessary. But as we will see in the story that we read today, rehabilitation is what we want to be about. And development is the last stage. If uh, relief is, I'm going to do it for you. Rehabilitation is, we're going to do it with you. Development is, now that you've come to that place, you're going to help others. Okay? And so you want to see, it's almost like what we would call discipleship. So the need is, the, the immediate need is met, then you begin to do it with the community, with others as they assist you, and then you begin to help others. So that's where you really want to be. That's where we really want to be when we help and we assist. But that's harder, isn't it? Because it means I'm going to know your name. That means it's going to take my time. It means I'm going to be invested. But that is exactly the biblical principle that Jesus teaches. Now, here's a very popular story you're all very familiar with in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. And they're speaking to Jesus. And just then, an expert in the law that's talking about the religious law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked, How do you read it? What's your interpretation? Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. He told them, if you do this, you will be living correctly. Okay, now, Jesus is not getting into the salvation part of it. He has not yet died on the cross. Uh, this guy is looking for a debate. He said, okay, if you want to know how to live correctly, that would be how you live correctly. But let me go ahead and challenge you that I don't believe you're even living Correctly, So we're going to start there. And he said, so. Um, he said, you've answered correctly. Do all this, you'll live. And the guy wanting to justify himself says this, and that's what we typically want to do. We want to justify ourselves. He asked, who is my neighbor? Now, the cultural understanding uh, in Judaism at this time was your neighbor was someone who, who was a Jew or at least someone who had a like-minded faith and was keeping the law. Someone who was within good standing, someone who was near you, someone who was like you or at least believed like you. But Jesus is going to challenge this definition. It's still the definition that most of us use today. We either think of neighbor as someone who lives right next to us or somebody who's like us. Somebody who looks like us, somebody who believes like us, somebody who acts like us. And that's how we define neighbor, but it's certainly not the way that Jesus defines neighbor. Jesus took up the question and he said to the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Now it's interesting, Jesus uses a very specific example. He says from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now this is about an 18 mile trek. And it was one that was very familiar to these people in this area. 
And uh, they would have done it, or they would have known very well about this trek, but it was a very dangerous journey, this 18-mile stretch, because uh, there was a place where there was a pass uh, where there are, there are formations of rocks where you can't go over, you can't go under, you have to go through it. And there are caves, and it's just the perfect haven uh, for criminals to attack you. As a matter of fact, this one specific area was called the Pass of Blood, because so many people had been attacked and mugged in this area, they called it the Pass of Blood. Now, you could go around it, but it may take a whole other day's journey. So if you were in a hurry <clears throat> or not able to do that, then you had to go through the Pass of Blood. And everyone was familiar with this. Everyone would have known or at least heard of someone who had been attacked at the Pass of Blood. And so a very familiar story, a very realistic picture. <clears throat> and he tells about someone who's been robbed. And every, this story has been told countless times in the sense of someone, yeah, I know someone. I had a cousin, a neighbor, a friend. I one time was attacked there. Everybody resonates with what Jesus is saying. And he says <clears throat> that this guy has been attacked He's been beat up, and they have fled, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now, typically, we like to really be critical of these guys, but the truth of it is, this is a dangerous stretch of road. This is a dangerous place. And if you see someone that's been attacked, there's a couple of things that you might be thinking. First of all, that's not good. He's still alive. That means the people who robbed him are close by. Not only that, this may be some type of trap. <clears throat> How do I know? And so the priest and the Levite, they get on this side and they hurry. They probably even run past the gentleman who is beaten and lying in the road. Hey, quite frankly, that's what most of us would probably do in that same scenario. That's not a judgment. I'm just saying that's typically what most people would do in a dangerous situation. Now, what even makes this passage more problematic is that the priest and the Levite, these are the religious order, they were the ones who were responsible for dispensing alms. So money that was tied, that was given a portion of that, was to go to the poor. And they would have been the ones who, quote, made the determination and how much to help the poor. But they run by. There's the picture right there, okay? So, we see that they've ran by, probably because of fear. They probably think they're being discerning. They probably think he's already just about dead. This is not a good situation. I need to go. But a Samaritan on his journey came to him and saw the man and had compassion. So the picture is, if we want to modernize this today, we would say there was a Christian, North American, lying in the ditch over here. And the pastor and the deacon or the elder saw him over there. It was getting dark. It was in a bad area of town. The streets were not good, and they ran on by. But then there was a Muslim who saw him, and the Muslim went over, and he took that Christian. He took that white guy, and he helped him. That's the picture that's happening right here. We like to try to re-identify it and think, oh, what about that? But there's the picture right there. 
someone we might not identify with, someone of a different religion. See, the Samaritans and the Jews uh, were at odds with each other, to say the least. And theologically, they were very different from one another. And to the point that there was a lot of animosity. And here's the Samaritan showing compassion or mercy. This is the characteristic in the gospel that's most often used to describe Jesus. And he was moved with compassion. And we see the Samaritan having this compassion. And he went over to him and he bandaged his wound. Remember, this is the Samaritan. He goes over to the Jew and he he went to him. And we see over and over the actions that occur in these two verses. I wish we had time to completely unpack it. But he goes over to him. He takes the risk. He endures the danger. He bandages the wounds and pours oil and wine at cost to him. And by the way, this is also um, meeting the relief, the immediate need. He's doing that. So he's meeting the immediate need. Then he puts him on his own animal. He puts him on his horse or his donkey, so to speak. He puts him there. And he lets him, he lets him have the ride. And the Bible says that he took him to the inn and he took care of him. So he's going from relief, and then we see him starting into the rehabilitation phase. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to be a part of this process. Okay, this is going to be not just me giving money and leaving. I want to be a part of this process. I want to see him healed, and I'm going to work with this healing process. And so that's exactly what he does here. So the Bible says, uh, Which of these three do you think proved to the neighbor, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor? Isn't it interesting? Jesus flips this. The guy said, Now who's my neighbor supposed to be? And Jesus says it this way, Who was the neighbor? Who was the instrument of mercy, of compassion? Who was the true representative of Yahweh God? Who was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And he told him, go and do the same. Here's the deal. We want to put limits on God. We want to put limits on who we help and how we help. And we just kind of make them up ourselves. The first limit that we always want to do is who. Now let's decide who we're going to do. I think that we should do people who live in Flower Mound, who are about one mile radius from the church, and uh, those are the people I think we should be helping. The real truth is there's probably not a whole lot of relief that needs to go on with a mile or two of Rock Point Church. There are some, and there are families that we assist and we work with, but what we're often saying in that instance is, give me somebody like me. I'll help somebody like me, somebody who has a real need, but they're like me. Let other people take care of this. And that was the mentality right here of this story. That was the way they understood it. That's the way they would have gone about it. But Jesus refutes that mentality. And so, first of all, we've got to get over that whole who, because Jesus is saying, here's someone of a different nationality, of a different religion. Why do we go to Tanzania, to an unreached people group? that is exclusively Muslim. There's not even a written language. There's no Bible written that language. Because that's our neighbor. Because God has called us to go into all the people groups. That's what the Great Commission says. In Rwanda, in Haiti, 
and particularly in Tanzania and Transylvania. So sometimes when we get stuck on that who, why do we have to go over there? Why do we have to do Why don't we just take care of right here? Sometimes that's just kind of me-centric because we don't want to be burdened and we don't want to think that way. See, Jesus thinks very globally. And so do we. We are commanded to take care of home, but we're also commanded to go into the nations. Number two, when. You know, well, I'll help when it's a national disaster. When someone, their home burns. When I can see that there's nothing that they possibly could have done to bring this upon themselves. Now, if I catch a glimpse that there's, for any reason, they've ever made a mistake in their life, I'm not doing anything. What about you? You ever made a mistake in your life? What if it was you? Is that the standard by which you want to be judged? You know, if that guy hadn't been, he shouldn't have been at the pass. That's what I think. That guy shouldn't have been there. He should have known. He should have planned better. He should have taken the two-day journey and just gone the other way. Shame on him. Let's just leave him there. What about when it's your son or your grandson or your granddaughter? You see, it's all well and good when we feel like we're in control. And we determine the when. But the Bible doesn't let us make that distinction. It doesn't let us pick the who and pick the when. And the last one is the how much. You think those two are convicting. How about the how much? Here's the way that we really go about how we help today. We help, and I hear this, you know, I would do, I would help, but, you know, this just isn't a good time for me right now. It's not a good time for me to help. You know, when I build my business up, when I make more money, then I'm going to help too. And what we're saying is, I don't give if it has any impact on my life. I don't want to give if it affects the way that I live. Which, by the way, is a very North American concept of giving. If you want to go back to Acts chapter 2, which I promise you most of you don't. Uh, If you want to go back to Acts 2, where you see everybody gave all that they had, uh, that would be a a good biblical example. Now, I'm not here to... um, uh, perpetuate communism or anything. But I am saying this. Jesus, uh, and the Scripture makes it very clear that, and, and you can go back and look at First Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, that people gave even when they had need. So what I'm saying is that when we give, it ought to impact the way that we live. You see, it's not really giving. It's not really uh, any kind of sacrifice when we simply give our change what's extra. Yes, sometimes it will mean we don't live in the house that we would have bought. We don't buy the car we would have bought. And we think, what kind of, what are you smoking? Are you kidding me? I've worked hard to get the house. I want that house. I want that car. I want that vacation. I want those clothes. And then if I've got anything else, I'll give part of that. That is not a biblical understanding of giving. You know, and I, I know that maybe is not what people want to hear today. That's part of what Jesus is teaching. Now, this isn't a sermon on giving money, but it, but it is on giving to needs, okay? And that is a part of who we are. But I hope that you will pray and, and begin to read Scripture and think that through as we look at those needs. Now, with that said, let's go back to our three words, okay? So when we give, maybe the best opportunity for us to give is not simply sticking money out the window. I was driving back through Arlington yesterday, and I was, I was amazed. There was about a 19-year-old kid uh, wearing an Abercrombie church shirt um, collecting money. And I'm thinking, where are we at this point, you know? And so here's a couple ways you, you could approach it. You could say, 
kid, what are you doing with this money? <clears throat> and he's probably, quite frankly, I'm not trying to be negative. He's probably going to lie to me, okay? He, he probably is. But what is another way to handle it? Hey, why don't you meet me over here? And I've done this a few times, not when my kids are in the car, but why don't you meet me over here at the McDonald's and let me buy you some food? Or the Wendy's or the Burger King or whatever it is. Why don't you meet me over here at the grocery store? And what you find real quickly is who's sincere and who's serious at that moment. Maybe the best thing for us to do is to think, okay, what are the feeding institutions and what are the rehabilitation institutions that we can give to and we can direct people to as opposed to sticking money out the window? Now, let me say this. If God just burdened you to give somebody money out the window, then God bless you. But that's not the way that God has typically asked us to give, and that's not typically, quite frankly, hardly ever the best way. When I was 19 years old, uh, I did one of my first mission trips to Chicago, and it was early May, just gotten out of school for the semester. And, you know, even in early May, it's flipping cold in Chicago because, you know, I'm from South Louisiana, and, and it was just cold there, you know. And it's like 40 degrees at night, and the wind's whipping. And, I mean, I know some of you from the north, 40 degrees. You don't think, I thought it was cold, okay. I, I had on, like, a long sleeve shirt, and I thought it was really cold. And so I'm there, and <clears throat> I'm walking in, and we're going to war- work with Pacific Garden Mission, which is a homeless shelter in downtown Chicago. And so I'm walking up there. And there's this gentleman lying on the ground right there on the concrete, and he's asleep. And I go, hey, buddy, hey, can I help you? He goes, what do you got? I go, I'm going in here. Can I take you in? This is a shelter. And he goes, no. I said, come on. I said, it's cold out here. No. You got got any money? I said, just come in with me. And so he won't come in, so I go in, and I get the guy at the counter. I said, hey, there's a guy sleeping right here. Like he wouldn't have known that, Um, you know, because I've just marched in, you know, from Louisiana for my first time into Chicago. And, you know, of course, you obviously don't know there are people sleeping out on the ground in here. And so I said, can we go get him and bring him in? He goes, well, we can ask him. I said, I already asked him. He said he didn't want to come. He goes, "Then, then leave him alone. I said, what do you mean leave him alone? I said, he's sleeping out there. It's cold out here. And he goes, you know, you have to want to. This is... He said, we're not just about relief. There are some things that we're going to, to require. And he probably has been before and just doesn't want to do it. I go, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm going to go back out and talk to him again. So I go back and go, hey, man, they got food in here. And I'm, I'm giving this message. You know, I'm a 19-year-old knucklehead. I'm giving this message like he's never heard it before. Trying to help him, you know. And, um, and he said, hey, you know, if you want to really help me, why don't you give me a couple dollars? So, you know, being the nut I am, I go, you promised to buy some food with this? You promised to and, uh, and I got several stories like that. One, one of the times I was in New Orleans at Bucare Baptist Church, right in the middle of French Quarter, as we're doing there, you know, I gave some guys money. I literally l- watched him go into the bar, okay? Now, some of you are thinking, oh, there, that's my deal. That's why I don't give. You know what? That's not a, that's not a reason to not give. That's a reason to do it correctly, Okay? So don't take those stories and those images and think, I don't give because of that. No, you don't give because you don't get involved. Because it's harder. It's harder to get involved with the organization. It's harder to know the person's name. It's harder to spend time at that shelter. That's the reason we really don't. Because if you did that, you'd begin to see there are people. Matter of fact, at the end of this month, end of June, you're going to see uh, men of Nehemiah. Matter of fact, this is a ministry of Cornerstone Church. They'll be here in about five weeks. And these are men who are going through a rehabilitation uh, program and that we're going to be a part of. And, 
Those are great opportunities to give. Those are great places that we want to partner with as a church. So the deal is not for me to turn you off to say, I'm not going to give anymore. He's right. I'm not going to do that. It's to think about how you're going to give. To give wisely and to give in a way that you're going to be involved in that rehabilitation and development occur. Okay? Great picture of what Jesus shows us through the Good Samaritan. So let's take off our legalistic tendencies and our judgmental spirit and say, Jesus, I want to give the way that you command me to give. And I want to give wisely. And I want to give uh, to my church that works. And I want to give to these organizations that seek to do rehab and development. And that's what I want to be about. What about you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together today. Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you give, uh, you give us to give to the missions, to all our missionaries that are on the field, for the organizations that we work with today and the ones we'll work with in the future. And Lord, I pray that we would give as an act of worship even today. And not only that, but we would involve our lives to see rehabilitation and development occur so that you might be gloried and other people might live the life that you desire for them to live and to know the God of the universe the way that you desire to be known. We thank you for this time, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.